This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Stefan Parrott, CFO of KCG Holdings, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 357. With the advent of analytics uh, and the democratization of analytics, a lot of times what I'll see in different organizations is people excited about the analysis and the number and the graph and the pretty chart and the report. And they'll spend hours and hours making sure the axes are perfect. And But they're not really talking about what to do to fix the business. They're just showing a new analysis. Uh, and so that's part of the culture too, uh, is the transparent information leads to quicker decision making. And that's what this is all about when you, when you get down to the bottom of it, being a business leader or uh, being an analytics company, it's helping better and faster decisions get made. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. On today's show, we speak to Fong Lee, CFO of MicroStrategy, a company that foresaw the age of analytic insight and data intelligence. We speak to Fong about the future of finance culture and how finance executives must continue to evolve and respond to business insight and opportunity. We begin after these words from our sponsor. Just as a house needs a good foundation, your business needs a solid technology foundation. At Workday, a different approach to finance technology is giving growing mid-size organizations a distinct advantage. Workday's flexible architecture means that when business conditions change, finance can easily make changes to business processes. To learn more about how a finance system from Workday supports mid-size organizations from the ground up, visit us at Workday.com. Workday, built for the future. Hello, we're speaking to Fong Lee, CFO of MicroStrategy, a NASDAQ company based in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. Fong, welcome. Thanks, Jack. Good, good to hear you over the phone. Likewise. Uh, good to have you with us. And uh, as always, we like to begin by uh, asking our guests to uh, look back, tell us a little bit about themselves, and share some of the, the career experiences they feel have helped prepare them for a CFO role. What would yours be? What I appreciate uh, when I meet folks in business in general are, are those who have a reasonably diverse background. And so uh, if you look back, or if I look back at my career, uh, I spent 12 years as a consultant at Deloitte, which is funny. I think I get the name brand recognition of Deloitte on the audit side, and people assume I have a CPA and I'm an auditor, and that's how I grew up in my career, a more traditional finance background. But I actually started uh, as an engineer, a systems engineer, doing systems implementations for large telecom companies. So. I uh, wrote PL SQL code, I built data warehouses and databases, 
and I helped implement large ERP and CRM systems. And at that point in time, they were called OSS, BSS systems, and DSS systems, decision support systems. Before they were called data warehouses. Um, and I really spent five years doing that. Uh, and then I went off to business school, decided I want to try something different, came back and focused on finance, still as a consultant. Um, but it's that foundational understanding of IT and systems and data and how information flows and how data structures work and how to code that I feel, uh, even to this day, uh, you know, the finance knowledge and being a CFO is a prerequisite, obviously, but anything that I, you know, people are able to have on top of that, whether working in marketing or sales or uh, networks or uh, IT, in my case, uh, really creates a credibility as a leader in an organization. And it, it um, helps dispel the notion that you're just sort of a siloed finance leader. Then having... Uh really established yourself in the IT realm, then you dug deep into FP&A and uh, uh, was able to get uh, uh, some experience any finance leader would covet. Yeah, yeah. So I started I started in IT, went to business school, and came back and really focused on FP&A. Uh, you know, the great thing about FP&A is it's really a business finance role. Uh, where I was able to take sort of my knowledge of systems and um, data and expand it into uh, across the organization uh, in an FP&A role. And, you know, uh, good or bad, I had, had an opportunity to do quite a few cost reductions. Um, and cost reductions are always tumultuous times for organizations, but they're, they're, they're when finance is in the spotlight and there is very difficult and challenging work to be done, partnering with businesses to identify places to take out ultimately cost, and in many cases, headcount. Um, and I did three or four of those while with Deloitte, and then when I moved on to Nextel International. Um, and, and, and it's a rite of passage almost for any finance individual to have been through that. Uh, and I did it you know, in a time of growth and, and in a time of, of decline uh, at Nextel. So I would say that was sort of the next career wrong, the next career ladder. Uh, the final part of that is I spent a couple of years working in Brazil in our Nextel Brazil entity, uh, leading what was considered, you know, was called strategy and operations, but was fundamentally trying to transform the business, take cost out and grow again. Um, I think for anybody who wants to work in a global organization, and frankly, at this point, if you want to work in a large company, they're all global in nature. Uh, if given the opportunity, and, and some companies are more formal about these, some are less formal, uh, it's great to work overseas. Um, it, it creates, uh, number one, it gives you credibility as a global executive, but number two, it requires a level of agility and adaptability that you wouldn't get typically, you know, working in the U.S. Um, it's a different language, it's a different culture. Uh, you're coming in as an outsider, regardless of whether you think you are or not. Uh, and so, so that was foundational for me, and it gave me a lot of credibility in the marketplace, right? You know, when somebody sees that you spent a couple years in another country and you were successful in doing so. Uh, and I think that's what led uh, to me being able to then take a role as a CFO uh, at Exo Communications, which is uh, was a privately held but $1.5 billion organization with about 3,500 employees uh, and owned by Carl Icahn. So um, I, I think it's that sort of diverse set of backgrounds that Exo is looking for and ultimately MicroStrategy is looking for. 
Uh, and so the interest of finance talent now is a lot different than it was in the past. I think in the past it had to be you worked at a big four accounting company with a CPA uh, and grew up from there, or you worked with an investment bank. Uh, I think folks in general, whether looking for a CFO or me looking for finance talent, want to see someone who has a diverse set of experiences. And, you know, your point of, of sort of multiple career steps, career rungs, I see them as different career transitions almost from one, one role to a very different role. Now, when you enter the door at, at MicroStrategy, it's, it's a publicly held firm, so it's, it's got some new <laughs> aspects to the, to the role. But can you tell us a little bit about what you were hoping to achieve here and what's your vision for the role? Yeah, well, my vision when I entered MicroStrategy in finance is not much different than my vision anywhere in finance. And part of what uh, I talk to a lot of CFOs about and uh, part of what software has done for organizations in general, which is transition uh, the view of finance from traditional what I'll call a data steward to really helping the company as a business partner be a digital disruptor. Um, and so how, how does finance do that, right? One, one is, you know, go from this old school view of finance is there to manage budgets, to cut costs, and uh, really ultimately the steward of the company's cash against all the vultures and folks in the organization just want to spend, 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 right? And, and so the way you do that is you hide information, you make people go through 18 different steps to get headcount. Uh, and you portray finance as this holier-than-everybody-else organization that if you can't get through their gates, uh, you can't really invest and you can't progress through the organization. Um, and, and, you know, there are folks like that in finance who, who feel, you know, you, you want something from me, get in line. Uh, and and that, that I, I think there's still finance organizations like, like that out there. That's the predominant finance organization still that exists. Uh, and that's the perception that's created from the business of the finance organization. And, and not that MicroStrategy was completely there uh, when, when, I, when I arrived, but there were definitely remnants of that. Uh, and so I did the same thing at MicroStrategy that I did when I joined XO, that I did when I joined Nextel and other places, which is really try to change that perception of finance, uh, which in many cases is changing the culture of finance, right? Uh, going from the no culture to the yes culture going from the spreadsheet culture to uh, the, the shareable, transparent dashboard culture, uh, going from the, you know, you have to go through me for everything to the, hey, here, here are sort of the general guidelines that the business should work within, and I'm going to be here to partner with you. Go from the, you know, I'm here with, with my binders and binders of information, and if you want any of it, you have to get in line, I'll send you a spreadsheet three weeks later kind of a culture. Um, so that's what I, I really want to do with MicroStrategy, and I think it's fundamental for a finance organization to be able to create that for the company to then grow and become more agile. Because uh, finance has an ability to hold a company back from growth, and finance has the ability to really be a supporter and driver of growth. Uh, and that was my big agenda with MicroStrategy, as it was at many other places I've been. And I see a lot more finance folks doing that nowadays than they ever have before. Do you see the, the different skills that make up uh, your finance team changing as well? Are you, are you be, besides the mindset cultural change, is there, are you looking to add different people or different roles to the team? 
Absolutely, right? You know, um, I'll take FP&A as an example, right? And the last few places I've been, I've turned over most of the FP&A organization. And the reason is, you know, uh, there's a thought process of FP&A, which is primarily the better and the bigger the spreadsheet you build, the more qualified you are to be in that department, right? Um, but the, the best people in FP&A are the ones who have empathy and can understand what a person in sales is walking through, what a person in marketing, why a person in marketing wants to spend that money on digital advertising and can actually go through and help them calculate ROI and look at their, uh, th their requests and their spend on a regular basis and come back to them and say, hey, this, th this campaign you launched, you know, maybe you should have tried it this way. And that doesn't mean they have to have been a marketing expert but it means that they have to be interested in learning how the business works beyond just the numbers. Um, so somebody that you know comes out of business school is a great profile. Somebody that comes from another department is a great profile. Somebody that comes right out of undergrad is a great profile for that, right? Like, you know, to go to a top school and, and they're just creative and willing to listen and agile, right? Uh, it's a very, very different profile. Some Sometimes you can train people to change, but sometimes, uh, unfortunately, you have to change people out. I want to ask you about uh, MicroStrategy's offerings today. This company is really so well-known uh, in the Northern Virginia region. It's, it's one of their, really, their technology rock stars. It's meteoric rise uh, in the 90s, and its, its whole story of going public is, is one that uh, so many people are familiar with there. Uh, but I want to, over time, it's clearly had to evolve its offerings along with the technology world. So anyway, wanted to ask you about those offerings and tell us about the, uh, the marketplace today. Yeah, you know, MicroStrategy is, is a great sort of story of a company that's, and not many are like this, that have been doing something similar and been consistent to its vision, which is really intelligence everywhere, right? The, the vision of MicroStrategy is data intelligence everywhere, right? And, you know, whether that data was measured in kilobits megabits, gigabits, petabits, or terabytes and, and, and petabytes, it doesn't really matter. It's all about the importance of information, information flow, and being able to analyze that information, turn it into wisdom, right? And, you know, our CEO, Michael Saylor, founded the company in 1989. Our first product was released in 1994. And the product continues to innovate, but more importantly, we're in an industry where it's, it's always sort of the most important thing, which is pretty exciting, right? Whether it be in the late 1990s with the advent of the internet uh, and the introduction of decision support systems and data warehouses and people realizing that if you can combine customer information with network information, with billing information, uh, if you're a telecom, and if you put those three things together, and that was the big concept in you know 2000, uh, there's more that you can do with the business to grow it. Um, fast forward to now, right? Everybody loves information. And back then in 2000, the people who were having those conversations were typically uh, data, you know, geeks and people who were relegated to the basements of, of, of offices. Now everybody is interested in data analytics, data science. Um, and now with the advent of uh, the smartphone uh, and really the advent of e-commerce and these uh, big sort of online giants, whether it be Amazon or Netflix um, or Apple or Facebook, um, what we're doing is in the forefront of every single conversation, right? 
And so our, now it's not just three data sources and combining that data into the data warehouse. It's 10 internal data sources, 50 external data sources, putting it into a big data and you know engine, a data lake, a dupe data lake as an example, and then being able to, through uh, machine learning, mine that data and come out with wisdom and, and, and outcomes. It's really the same concept that was there in 1990 as it was in 2000. It's just more information and more sources. And MicroStrategy staying power is one, we chose a very good place to play in. Uh, and two, we've continually evolved our software and our technology with the vision of our CEO and uh, the ingenuity of our employees to be able to stay you know, two to three years in front of the technology curve. Um, so it's exciting. It's a great place to be. You know, I started my career in telecom primarily, and, and um, moving from telecom to technology was logical, and moving into a space that I already knew about the underlying technology was, was fun. And uh, you're right, you know, living in Northern Virginia since the late 90s, um, everyone has a story that they've heard of or read of or know of or been through with MicroStrategy, and so it's sort of fun to be uh, part of that cool tech company on the East Coast in the D.C. area. Curious about how uh, the cloud movement uh, intersected with uh, with MicroStrategy. Has it is it a subscription model today? Is it a business model similar to so many other uh, cloud uh, software companies? Yeah, so we have we we have a cloud model too, uh, and what we do in the cloud uh, is similar to what we do in other spaces like mobility, where we don't just take our offering and we put it on. Uh, a mobile phone or put it in the cloud. You know, my joke is, you know, some people, you, you remember when the, when the smartphone first came out and most web, websites uh, went on the mobile phone were just a version of your desktop website but shrunk down so you couldn't read it on your mobile phone, right? That, that, that's sort of what people thought of when they first thought mobility in the analytics space. Take a report and make it so small you can't read it on your phone. And that's what a lot of companies are doing with cloud. Take your on-prem solution and put it on the cloud, but not change it in any way. And, and again, when we MicroStrategy innovates and put products out there, when we moved to mobile, uh, we made uh, reports and the ability to build applications, whether it be on the iPhone, Android, or on the iPad or, or Android tablet, uh, form-fitting and specific to that. So, you know, I, I'm a big sports fan. I remember I used to read ESPN.com on my mobile phone. It was just the shrunk down version, and now they have a great app. Think of that for a retail dashboard. That's what we do. Now, now draw that analogy with cloud. Our cloud offering is specific to MicroStrategy, and we build it specifically for the cloud so somebody can go and spin up a MicroStrategy environment in a matter of five-button clicks, as opposed to if they want to do it on-prem, it would take a lot more time. So we built something specific to cloud, uh, and offer it to our customers, and you know we're excited about that. But but I, I think of cloud as another platform. I think of uh, mobile or tablet as as another consumption technique. And what a lot of technologies companies get wrong is they sub-optimize when moving to these other environments. They have to make it custom made and custom fit, and it takes engineering time, but it's absolutely worth it. So if we were to ask you for your key metrics, would it be renewable revenue, customer lifetime value? What would be among them? Well, I mean, at the highest level is product license revenue, um, our support revenue, which is our recurring revenue, our cloud revenue, which is our 
uh, also recurring revenue, and then our operating margins, and then our cash flow, and then, and then total cash. Uh, those are the big financial metrics. Internally, uh, we look at things like uh, leads that are generated by marketing. Uh, we look at quality and, and total output by the technology team. We look at customer satisfaction. Um, not really, uh, not really, you know, different metrics than any other company. Uh, the difference with MicroStrategies, you could imagine, is we're an analytics company, so we measure most of those metrics on a daily basis, if not every week. Uh, some metrics, you know, especially some of the financial ones, are, are we also look at quarterly. Um, but we make all our metrics transparent to the whole company. We put them up on big TV screens all across our headquarters building, and you see reports and dashboards. So um, it, it's this. Back to my point when I started with finance, uh, you know. Our finance team believes that every number should be shared with everybody unless it's material non-public information. Um, but uh, we want results up and around everywhere. It creates competition. It creates transparency. And uh, it creates a knowledge of all parts of the business. Is that, was that part of the culture uh, before you arrived? And, and just curious as to uh, what you observed. If it was there before you arrived, I'm wondering what you observed culturally, how – uh, the company may have been different from uh, your prior uh, companies you had been part of. It, it, it wasn't here before I arrived, uh, and it was something that myself with the leadership team thought was very important, right? We, uh, in fact, we went through an exercise a couple of years ago where we decided what our core company values are, and we have five of them. We have engaged, precise, agile, transparent, and cheer cheerful. But we consciously decided that one of our values is transparency. Right, and, and so we had to really create that. We had to create dashboards and reports that everybody can see. So uh, before I get on a call with a business unit leader, I know, I know that that leader has a report that we're going to refer to, and I look, pull it up, and I look at it for half an hour before I get on the call. And so we're all in the same standing as to the results. And so the conversation I have with the business leader isn't really about the results. It's about what can we do to make the business better which is really what conversation should be about, right? Like that, that, that the numbers themselves should be at your fingertips, transparent and agile, agile being they're ready all the time and always updated so that you don't spend the first half hour of every meeting debating over the numbers, right? I remember in previous organizations, half the time I'm talking, it's, hey, you know, your revenue is X and, and, and then the business unit will be, yeah, that's what you have, but, you know, I put together this analysis in Excel, and then I stuck it in a PowerPoint, and I put some words around it. Let me tell you why it's not really X. It's X plus Y, and so you may think I'm not doing well, but I'm actually doing awesome. And we spend the whole time debating whether the numbers are right as opposed to how do we improve the business. And, and I would say that's, that's part of what a lot of companies struggle with still today. Uh, with the advent of analytics, uh, and the democratization of analytics. A lot of times what I'll see in different organizations is people excited about the analysis and the number and the graph and the pretty chart and the report. And they'll spend hours and hours making sure the axes are perfect. And But they're not really talking about what to do to fix the business. They're just showing a new analysis. Uh, and so that's part of the culture too, uh, is the transparent information leads to quicker decision-making. And that's what this is all about when you, when you get down to the bottom of it, being a business leader or uh, being an analytics company. It's helping better and faster decisions get made. 
The type of information you described that's being displayed on, on screens, uh, are these like in waiting areas? Is this like where people might gather and have an opportunity to observe them? Are they on elevators? Or I'm, I'm just wondering if you could illustrate that better for us. I imagine these same screens display all type of information, and you're just uh, filtering sort of a finance snapshot uh, ever so often into it. Is it something like that? Yeah, so imagine a building where we have nine floors, and in every floor in the elevator bank, there's a TV that scrolls through a set of 150 slides and KPIs uh, that we change every two weeks. Um, and then if you were to walk into the technology area, there's a nine screen, 57, there's, you know, nine 57 inch TVs that form a wall where people gather around and have discussions about metrics and, and it's, it's an informal meeting place that has a couch sitting in front of it. And imagine replicating that TV across our nine floors and our executive floor, we get the grandiose 12 TV version, which is even bigger than that. And each TV is a different set of dashboards and metrics. And we have meeting rooms that are reserved for sales, reserved for services. And outside each meeting room is the current stats for that particular department. Um, so they're, they're everywhere in the building, first of all. And they're custom-specific content to uh, the place that they sit. Right In the elevator bank, you have sort of news about the company and, and, and changes you know, in the business, and we distribute that around to our over 20 offices all around the world, too. Uh, but then you get to a department floor, and they have department-specific metrics and information, and the executive floor, you see everything. Is customer satisfaction part of that as well? Customer satisfaction, case backlog, timed you know, uh, t time to response, time to fix our, our big customer support metrics that if you go to the fourth floor where a customer support team sits, they have those metrics all over the place and they know exactly how they're doing any particular day. Very interesting. Thank you uh, for that background. That's very helpful. Sure. Um, we want to ask for a, and I think you've already shared a number of these, but we always ask for sort of a, a strategic insight or a, a finance strategic moment, something that you've experienced during the course of your career that led you to perhaps identify a risk or an opportunity and, and point the organization into a new direction. What Anything come to mind? Yeah, I mean, it, it goes back to the, I mean, the insight is finance driven to from from being a culture of closed and unsupportive to a culture of transparent and business-facing can absolutely change the trajectory of a business, right? And, and you know, so finance is no longer just the folks who close the books and print the Ks and Qs, but is the organization that can help be a big driver and supporter of change. And it's not done by just one leader, it's done by changing the culture of that finance organization, right? And, and being a intelligent enterprise, right? Being an organization uh, that is really data-driven uh, is so much more relevant now uh, than it was 20 years ago, but it's just as effective as now as it was 20 years ago. My point is, you know, the intelligent enterprise, the intelligent organizations, the digitally driven ones were more successful 20 years ago. It just happens to be that everyone's aware of it now, right? Everyone wants to be the next Amazon disrupting multiple different industries. Um, and it's pretty hard to do that if you don't have a finance organization that is at least supportive of it but more hopefully driving. 
want to ask you about the talent economy. And uh, I'm not just thinking about your finance team. I'm thinking about MicroStrategy's workforce as a whole and how, uh, you know, what influence finance as a finance leader do you have on some of the decision-making there? Are there certain metrics you pay close attention to when it comes to that workforce? Are you uh, trying to help them attract the top, you know, the best talent they can? Is there something that finance plays a role in? Yeah, so I have the uh, the great pleasure of also having HR, which includes recruiting, reporting into me too. Uh, so, you know, I can see the intersection of those two things. Look, it's um, finding talented people has always been challenging from the beginning of time. And a productive and talented person can give you 10x the output that a non-productive and non-talented person can. Um, and, you know, we do a few things, as you could imagine, analytically within uh, MicroStrategy that a lot of companies adopt are adopting now. Uh, one is we're a big believer in u- the utilization of assessments when we bring people into an organization, right? Uh, the recruiting and interviewing process is typically non-standard and non-perfect. Uh, it's imperfect, right? If I hire, if I interview, I'd like to think I'm a pre- pretty decent interviewer. I probably conducted hundreds of interviews and reviewed thousands of resumes in my life, but I'm probably, you know, my hit rate of hiring somebody good is probably like 66%, two out of three still. Um, And so we have to apply real true analytics, uh, which is where our data and information uh, are able to help out a lot more than they used to uh, through administering assessments, through looking at resume profiles, uh, through machine learning. And so that's one big application that can help Uh, in the talent economy. Uh, The other big piece is when we get a person inside, how do you make sure they don't quit? And so we do predictive churn analysis of our employees and through a variety of different metrics using MicroStrategy and and our analytics, try to figure out when somebody's about to quit. And when they're about to quit, we do an outreach. We get the HR business partner talking to the individuals and keep an eye on them. Uh, As a result of some of those exercises, we've seen our employee turnover reduce significantly. Uh, and we've also seen our top talent turnover reduce significantly. Uh, and it all comes down to the data. You're sitting on top of the data, just got to utilize it. And uh, the employees appreciate that too, right? They appreciate it when we're proactively reaching out to them. Thought Leader listeners, are you currently measuring your workforce churn? Are you using the correct technologies? Have you asked the right questions? MicroStrategies CFO offering us some food for thought. Don't go anywhere. We're going to ask Fang Li to enter the mentoring round with us after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. We want to enter uh, the mentoring round with you, which is when I get to ask you several quick questions intended to inspire and form uh, some of your uh, 
fellow finance leaders as well as future finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? Um, well, what excites me about business today is the rapid pace of change, right? You know, uh, if you think about many of the companies in the Fortune 50 today, they didn't exist 20 years ago. And the turnover that you see is pretty pretty amazing. And the ability to create that change can come from one idea and one individual more so than it ever has before because of the speed of information flow, because of the in importance of software, um, it, which is really sort of this virtual uh, virtualization of our economy, allows change to happen so quickly. And, uh, you know, I was a consultant 12 years because I didn't like doing the same job for more longer than six months, right? And even now, you know, my job changes and I add scope or I change uh, scope, you know, every year or so. Um, and so that's just, that's just super exciting for me to see uh, new leaders, new technologies, new companies emerge and dominate and disrupt in such a short period of time. Uh, and finance, which is thought of as more typically a slow-moving area, uh, can do that too, right? You know, with robotics and with automation and with offshoring and there are so many ways for finance technology technologically innovate. And so um, being able to be a finance leader in this day and age, in this industry, uh, which is changing the world uh, in this country, is, is an absolute privilege, and it's very exciting. Okay, so thinking back to the first time you entered the CFO office, <laughs> what do you wish someone had told you at that, that date in time? <laughs> that, that, it's a fantastic question. There's so many things I wish people had told me all, all throughout my career. Um, coming into the CFO office, uh, and, and I'd say this about any executive or any leader, um, is it's really not that much different than any other job, right? You're not entitled to anything else. You're, you're, you're not that much more important than the rest of the company. You're just in a role that has a great deal more risk, and you're able to make a lot more decisions quickly. Um, but there is no, you know, when I was a consultant, I, I looked up to these partners in consulting like they were, that, that was, you know, the, 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 the top of the mountain and, and that they were untouchable. And when I was in corporate, I looked up at the CFO and the CEO and the board as if these folks were super geniuses and, and, and you know, were better than it. it, it it's really not that. Um, it's, it's, you know, leadership and, and the ability to lead uh, it is truly an honor, and, and we're here to support the overall organization. And so I guess the one thing that would have been useful to know 20 years ago is when you get to the top, not much changes other than your risk profile and your decision-making authority. Is there a personal habit that you have that you believe has contributed to your professional success? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say there is two. One is um, diligence, right, and just hard work. Uh, I grew up in a, in a family where hard work was really all that mattered in the end. And I, I think sometimes I see folks who are super brilliant and don't work hard, and I feel like they've just completely uh, given up uh, a lot of their opportunity. Um, second is I don't sleep a lot and I wake up early. Uh, I've learned that, you know, people ask me what a life hack is. Life hack is go to sleep early and wake up early. Because typically whatever you're doing between 11 and 1 in the morning is not nearly as productive as what you're doing between 5 and 7 in the morning. So get up early, get more productivity out of those two hours, and you can produce a lot more.
Okay, our final question. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? Um, with MicroStrategy, my priority is to grow the organization. We've, we've gone through uh, a couple of years of revenue stagnation, uh, basically flat revenue. Uh, and that was a conscious decision in some cases as we were retooling the company and it's gone off the, on the backs of a big restructuring. Uh, so my biggest priority uh, is to grow revenue. Uh, my personal priority with the finance organization is to uh, really engage the team and get everybody to work together better. Uh, and, and so I'm a big believer in uh, teamwork across finance organizations like controllership, FP&A, tax, uh, internal audit, et cetera, uh, really unlocks the synergies of the organization. And getting companies to work across silos, across finance, legal, HR, IT, sales, marketing does the same thing. So the more it can get teams to collaborate across the organization, the more we can get to that revenue growth target. Bon Lee, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you. I appreciate the time and uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening, and don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, you can now go premium at cfothoughtleader.com.